So Money, episode 1240, How to Quit, a week-long series. Today's interview is with Jessica Carney, host of the And Then I Quit podcast. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. People aren't willing to put up with as much as they put up with before. And I should say, I don't think quitting is good just in itself, right? It's not just that quitting is so great no matter what. It's that quitting is good when your boundaries have been violated or when you've been asked to work 80 hours a week for the last three years or when you really aren't able to solve the problems that need to be solved at your workplace that's when you act, you really should quit. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. We're dedicating this entire week to the theme of quitting your job. It is something many Americans and people globally are considering. Can you blame us? A Microsoft survey of more than 30,000 global workers showed that 41% of workers considering quitting or changing professions this year. In April alone, our country saw more than 4 million people quit their jobs, put in their notices, and that's according to the Department of Labor, and that is the biggest spike on record. It's what many journalists and economists are calling the great resignation, and there's many reasons, of course, for quitting right now. The pandemic has led to a shift in our values and our priorities. It's made us think about what it really means to be happy at work. Employers are also responsible for the reason many people are leaving the workforce. Low pay, bad working conditions. A lot of that came to a head in the pandemic and many of us are saying, no more, I quit. But how do you actually do this so that you can land on your feet? Is quitting always the right solution? Our guest today is Jessica Carney. She is the host of the And Then I Quit podcast where she invites guests to offer up funny and absurd stories about jobs they've quit. Jessica herself, a serial quitter. She is an event planner who's coordinated everything from concerts to weddings. She's quit a lot of jobs and she'll talk about that on the show, as well as why we ought to reframe the cultural narrative around quitting. We often characterize quitting as an act of cowardice, giving up. Maybe we should talk about how it's a show of confidence. Jessica also has some cool advice for those of us who want to quit, but may not feel as though we have the financial ability to do so. As I said, this is the first of a series of episodes this week. On Wednesday, we'll be talking to a friend who recently left the New York Times, Tim Herrera, what led to his resignation. And then on Friday, we have rounded up all of your questions about how to quit. And my co-host guest is Dan Chabell, employment expert. So if you're thinking about quitting this year or ever, or if you just want to hear about other people's stories of throwing in the towel, this is the week you don't want to miss. Make sure you're subscribed to So Money so you always get this episode first before anybody else and you don't have to go searching for it. Here is Jessica Carney. Jessica Carney, welcome to So Money. We're going to talk about how to quit this week and you are kicking us off as the host of the podcast 
And Then I Quit, which is an incredible podcast. Everybody go subscribe, highlighting anecdotal personal stories of how people quit. Right now, a lot of people thinking about quitting. So we're very excited to have you on to help guide us through this very big decision. Yes. Thank you so much for having me today. This is one of my favorite topics to talk about. I mean, and your experience in this, you quit your job multiple times uh, throughout your career. But let's start with the news right now, where we are at in the world. We are, uh, I can't really say post-pandemic yet, but I mean, the last year and a half for many people who had a job, on the one hand, maybe you felt grateful that you had work, but uh, a lot of us who worked uh, and maybe parented at the same time or care gave for family and friends and neighbors, uh, it was a lot to take on. And now we're at this place of being incredibly tired and spent and thinking of quitting. 40% of Americans looking at transitioning and, and leaving the workforce to something new. What's your thought on that? Just top line. Like, what are your what are your reflections on when that when you read those headlines? Yeah, there's some really interesting stuff happening right now in regards to quitting. People aren't willing to put up with as much as they put up with before. And I should say, I don't think quitting is good just in itself, right? It's not just that quitting is so great no matter what. It's that quitting is good when your boundaries have been violated or when you've been asked to work 80 hours a week for the last three years or when you really aren't able to solve the problems that need to be solved at your workplace, that's when you you really should quit. And in a lot of cases, people weren't doing that before. You know, you might have heard people say, yeah, I've been in this job for five years and I've been unhappy the whole time. And it's kind of like, well, what? You've been there for five years unhappy? In this moment, people are quitting right now when they're unhappy, which I think is great. Well, you use a really important word, which is boundaries. Traditionally, we don't think of walking into a job and we creating boundaries. We think our employer is going to establish those boundaries and then we're going to kind of work within those boundaries. But talk a little bit about how to establish boundaries, um, especially if you're new on the job. It's important, but how do you do it so that you don't come across as um, somebody who's not a team player or inaccessible, all those things that we worry about? Yeah. And people really don't teach you how to do this, right? Um, How to talk to your boss if you feel like, okay, I'm getting texts late at night for things that aren't even urgent. This is kind of violating a boundary for me. Um, You know, I really learned that by osmosis and it took a long time. I did not learn that right away. Um, But you really have to have those conversations um, that are very uncomfortable sometimes and say, I really don't need to be getting these texts in the evening when I'm at home. Um, Or, you know, you're really not listening to me when I'm saying I don't want to work 60 hours a week and there might be some other solutions and ways to spread out duties. Um, These are uncomfortable conversations to have, but really no one's going to look out for you but yourself in that way. You have to have your own boundaries when you come into a new job or or even if you've been at a job for a while, you might have to take a minute and say, wait a second, what really are the lines that I'm not okay with having crossed? Do you think we've come away in the last year or two? We've come a bit of a distance to a place where we now have more agency at work, that employers are now having to listen to us, have these conversations with them for us to be the ones initiating them, especially in a moment where there's a pandemic plus a recession and you have a job, you're just like happy to be there. 
you know, and and I think of a lot of people who coming are coming out of college into a recession, maybe not so much now, but I'm thinking in our recent history, like that definitely was a sentiment that, you know, take what you can get, happy to be here. I don't want to rock the boat. What can you say about where we are now in terms of the more freedom we might have to say, no, I can voice and without facing penalty? Right. And that's interesting that you brought that up. So that's very much my story. So I graduated college and was launched directly into the Great Recession, like so many people. Um, So I very much did have that attitude at a lot of jobs. Just happy to be there. Yep. I'll do these extra things. Yep. I'll work these extra hours. Um, But now something kind of interesting is happening where um, because and in this moment, this is really just in the last few months, so many jobs are suddenly available. um, Employers are having to spend less than zero minutes thinking about how to make the workplace tolerable for their employees. Right. They're having to think about this just a little bit. And the funny thing is. That was always a beneficial thing to do because it's, you know, costly to lose employees. It takes time to hire. You lose a lot of knowledge. Really, it would have been great if employers were doing this on a broader scale for a long time. But that really wasn't my experience in the workplace um, with my, you know, 13 years in the working world being heavily tainted by the Great Recession. Um, And really, this change that you're referring to, I do feel like that only started in what, April and May? This is super recent um, where where people do have that little bit of agency. Yeah, putting the employee first is now more and more a necessity for companies as they are, in, depending on the industry, like begging for talent. Like there aren't enough jobs. But then you see, I, I see reports of employers that do put the employee first, that have great benefits, that are willing to have these hard conversations about allowing for boundaries and all that, um, seeing an overwhelm of applications. So that's very telling. It's like, so let's talk a little bit more about your previous life, multiple quitter, uh, an event planner who has coordinated everything. This is you from concerts at an arena to weddings at a museum. Uh, I almost had my wedding at a museum. Uh, (laughs) I think wedding planners are just like, I bow to you. You have so much to coordinate and it's like the most important day of my life. So don't mess it up. (laughs) No pressure. You've also interviewed many people about how and why they have quit on your podcast. But tell me about your experience in your career quitting the moments when you did quit. What led up to them? Yeah, I should say I really never sought out to become like the face of quitting or anything <laughs> like that. Um, this It's a bit of an accident. Um, but, you know, like you mentioned, I did choose an extremely stressful profession in event planning. Um you know, I mentioned in my bio that it's usually listed as one of the most stressful professions you can have. And usually the reason given for that is there's so many things you can't control in event planning. You have a vendor going rogue and then a rainstorm and then something breaks in the building. You did, There's so many things that you, even though you've planned perfectly, you cannot control. Um, so it's kind of a crazy job to pick anyway. So I should put that asterisk on it that it's not maybe as unusual to quit a little more frequently when you pick a really stressful profession. Um, but you know, there are many things that led to my quitting stories in those jobs. And some of them are mirrored on the podcast a little bit. You know, one of them, one of my guests 
talked about working somewhere where they wanted to be like a family, right? They wanted everything's like a family, like a family, but really that kind of meant using that word again, that they were violating this woman's boundaries. They were kind of um, asking for too much for her. They were expecting her to know things intuitively that weren't explained to her. You know, those, all those kind of things happened to me. Another guest um, had a pretty extreme micromanager. I've experienced that too. So part of what I've really learned through the podcast is no matter how weird the job, a lot of the themes about why people are quitting are the same. Mm. You said something earlier about like you never thought of yourself as a quitter. You never went, you never sought this title of like the fate, the poster woman for quitting. You know, it's a great transition to talking about our culture and what we think of quitting. We don't like to think of ourselves as quitters. And yet when people quit, there is this incredible sense of victory, <laughs> of like a weight being lifted from their shoulders. You wonder why we don't do it more often. But can you talk about that contrast of what we perceive to be, what quitting perceives to be, and then what it ends up actually being for us, which is in a lot of cases, like this great feeling of relief? Yeah. And you know, I think throughout my career, when I would complain about work to family or friends, you know, I feel like they would just use the phrase like, see if you can stick it out just as an instinct almost, right? Just as a reflex. But that isn't always the right thing. Even if you're a driven person and a motivated person, it isn't always the right answer to stick it out. Um, and I think part of what you might be kind of getting at is kind of conflicts with um, your idea of yourself as a motivated person, as a good worker, if you quit. But I really don't think those things are as much in contrast as people might think. Um, you know, it, it does mean that you should maybe try, make an attempt, even if you think it's futile, just for yourself to try to solve the problems that you're experiencing at work, to try to have that conversation with your boss. And if you do that and ultimately end up quitting, that doesn't make you an unmotivated person or a bad person. And really, where was that shame coming from that you felt, mm -hmm. you know, like where I think that wasn't really that was sometimes coming from the employer trying to make you feel bad about quitting because it would be it's harder for them when you quit than it is for you. Yeah. I will say personally, when I when I was in my early 20s, I had this incredible opportunity to go work at New York One News. I was 23 years old or 24 years old. I was underqualified, but whatever. Like I'm all about like going and, and shooting for the stars and, you know, learning curve, learn on the job. And I was definitely learning on the job. And it was a big <laughs> learning curve. I got this job as producer. In fact, the first day I got there, um, someone mistook me for an intern. And when I told her, no, I was a producer, she never talked to me again. Like she was so, she was so appalled by this. Like she's probably like, wait, I'm a, I'm a producer and I'm like 10 years older than you. So this is just to sort of give you a sense of like what I was walking into and already feeling like in, kind of in a hostile place where people were undermining me because of my age and lack of experience. And, and some of that, you know, maybe they had, it was merited because like I definitely was green. But after a while, like the stress of the job was really getting to me. My father, in fact, it was my father, after many months of misery, he said to me, you have two options here. You can quit or you have to find a way to find happiness at work, at the work that you that you have. And, and I didn't want to quit. It, it was like, it never even crossed my mind for multiple reasons. And you said, you know, maybe it's because the employer made you feel like that. I feel like the employer would have loved it if I quit, uh, <laughs> frankly. But I think it was one, 
my background. Okay. I'm a daughter of immigrants. Immigrants don't quit. You know, they come here and they stick it out and they work hard and they fight adversity. And I just felt like if I quit, it was sort of going to be a mark of shame on my parents' legacy. Then the other was just the job was so mighty and great. And I felt like I worked so hard to get it. I mean, I walked into that interview with a PowerPoint presentation. I earned that job. I, I, I won the interview. And so I felt if I quit, you know, what a waste. Like I, I got so far. I didn't get this far just to get this far. It's sort of like, you know, that famous saying. But my father, you know, his second point of find a way to make this work. Like you can quit, and which was not really an option for me, or you got to find a way to make it work. And so I took door number two, option B. And I learned that I was really sensitive at work. I was just like caring too much about what people thought. And as soon as I committed to tuning out those negative voices or those raised eyebrows. I just put my head down and worked and got really good at my job so that nobody had anything on me. And I was there for two and a half more years. And I left with a lot of friends and a lot of great references. And overall, it was like an amazing experience. But that first, I'd say six months was very touch and go for me. My question now for you is how can we make it work at work if we're not happy? So we, we've already like accepted that quitting is not an option for whatever reason. So then how do we make it work at work? Yeah, I think one thing to think about is that if you're thinking about quitting because of one main problem, so one that comes up frequently as a boss, right? Like it's, you know, I really like my tasks. I like what I'm doing. Can't stand my boss. That's even though I have a podcast called in that and then I quit, I wouldn't actually recommend quitting in that scenario for the most part, because, you know, your boss might quit for one thing. If you've got one issue you're trying to solve, you might be going into another job that has five new issues you didn't know about. So, you know, that is something I've learned the hard way. It's certainly not always been a fairy tale every time I've gone into the next job, because sometimes I've just been a little too eager to solve my problem by getting a new job. And then and then you've got some new ones there that are a surprise. Um, so I, you know, there are certainly times when that's, that's not the solution when, you know, if, it, if it's truly everything, if it's your boss, the tasks, the hours, it seems like quitting is the best option. But if it's one thing, I I would hesitate to quit. Yeah. Now, you yourself, earlier in your career, I was reading on your website, you experienced a very memorable slash horrible interview where your skirt had torn in the back. And by the way, that completely happened to me once in an interview. That's so crazy. So I think we're maybe skirt sisters. I don't know. Oh boy, that was a moment. And so that interview went south and not because of the skirt necessarily, which was the funny part. It was like a lot of other things that were happening in the interview. Um, and that was very revealing to you as far as what you did not want in a job. And you ended up not taking that job, obviously. But can you share that experience with us and maybe some of the learnings? Yeah, absolutely. So I wrote an essay for Shondaland about um, an interview that went terribly wrong. I really bombed that interview. I, I didn't even get offered the job. I should say it wasn't that oh. I chose not to take it. They <laughs> definitely did not offer me that job. Um, but I had taken that interview because I thought that job might be kind of my step back, my um, transition into more normal hours, into a little more normalcy at work. I thought that's what that job was. But once I got there, I realized that was not the case at all. And I realized that because the 
interviewers were asking me questions like, can you work a bunch of extra hours and nights and weekends, whatever? And of course I said, yep. And the real answer was no, I don't want to, but I had no idea how to say that. And then I just bombed it from there because I was so stressed out. But (laughs) that was really kind of a turning point in my career where I realized, you know, I kind of have to ask for what I want and this isn't what I want anymore. And yet, how do you ask for that in the interview? I feel like that's a a deal breaker for some employers. I mean, if the job requires a lot of hours and you can't commit to that for whatever reason, it's just never going to be a good fit. Or do you try to find a way to make it work? I think you have to be honest because it's such a pain to switch jobs. Yeah. If you end up in that job and that's not what you wanted, you it's almost better off to be honest. And honestly, it would have been a deal breaker, but is it now? I'm not so sure. Like you might be able to say some of those things at a company that's been desperately searching for employees and they might be like, okay, we'll make that work. Well, we'll, we can, we can live with your boundaries and your rules because we need you and we think you'll be great. I might try that now in this environment. Yeah. Well, a lot of people right now are trying to quit or have already quit. Or let's talk to those who are in the audience who are considering quitting. It's like it would be their dream come true, but for various reasons, emotional, financial, both, they can't. They just, they can't, they're stuck. And I think that that's, um, you know, it's a privilege to be able to quit, truly, like to be able to quit and feel safe on the other side of things. So what's your advice for somebody who may not feel ready for whatever reason, they don't have a savings cushion or, um, well, let's, let's just take this one at a time. They don't have the savings cushion. And then there's others who may not have something lined up. And even if they have a savings cushion, they're nervous about that gap, you know, like taking six months or a year to find another job and explaining that gap. But let's focus on those who don't have the money to quit. What's your advice? Yeah, I think, you know, I'd be lying if I say I have absolutely perfect advice for people in those situations. And, you know, I do have a spouse who earns an income that has always given me a little bit of a cushion. So that is part of why I've been able to quit so often. I think it's probably important to be honest about that. You know, it's, I've always had another job lined up, but that has given me a little bit of a cushion. But I think too, people um, with the number of jobs available right now, if people are willing to kind of untie their identity from their work, like if they can just find work at a job somewhere where it's not your whole personality, it's not everything you are, it truly is just a job, you can probably find a lot of those jobs right now, at least where I live, they're absolutely everywhere. So maybe you can, you know, move away from that nonprofit that's that you love working at, but it's absolutely destroying your life with enough stress and number of hours. And you can go just take a job for a while and figure things out. I think that's the only advice I could really offer in this unique environment that we're in right now. I like that advice. Maybe use your PTO to take <laughs> yeah. two weeks to find another gig and then you come back and you work a couple more weeks and then you say, bye-bye. That's not very nice to your employer maybe, but you know what? Let's talk about you know, what's nice anymore, you know, like it's just business and they're going to fire you one day, maybe without any notice. So, you know, maybe there's something there to get over too, like feeling this loyalty that so many of us have to our employers, you know, and sometimes it's just not warranted. 
I think people 10 years my junior are kind of having this beautiful awakening of that. And it's really interesting for me to watch where they might go get a job that is truly just a job. It's just a transactional relationship. They do a perfectly fine job at it. And then if they have other creative interests, they they do that too on their own time. But it, they don't have their personality so sunk into it in the way that truthfully, I always did. I always thought, you know, this is who you are, you know, yeah. you better make this work. And that never really worked out all that well for me. So I don't know that I recommend that. <laughs> yeah. So um, working to live rather than living to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For those people who don't know where they're going to go next, they're unhappy at their job, but maybe it's not even the job. It's the whole industry that's telling them they're it's just not the right fit. What are some steps that they can take to create a relatively smooth transition from quitting to finding their next role or going into their next role? Yeah, I know just one example from my life. When I was working full-time at a job, I started freelance writing during that. So I started to kind of dip my toe into that before I quit. And I then took that on in a, in a bigger way after I quit that job. So I kind of started to dip my toe in it and see if it would actually work. Now that might, that doesn't apply probably to some other scenarios. It's a little hard to give universal advice for that, but I think if it's an option to try something out in a little way, if it's, you know, being a freelancer, being a graphic designer, being whatever that is, just do it for one friend or, or try it once a month and see if that seems like it's going to fit. Hmm. What's been your favorite interview? You have had just reading like the titles of some of these podcast episodes, which capture kind of the essence of why that person quit. Uh, For example, they asked me to erase their glass door reviews. Uh -uh. Uh, My boss turned our office into an escape room. Um, I accidentally set Def Leppard's dressing room on fire. Uh, all of these episodes are explicit, by the way, uh, probably for good reason. But what's been one that really sticks out to you and one that we should definitely start with if we're going to your uh, subscribing to your podcast? Yeah, I should say I was just nervous in how to label them. So they're really not all explicit. I think there's just a couple swear words oh. there and I didn't want to get in any kind of trouble. <laughs> well, so you many- know, just a little podcast, just to geek out on podcasts here, you know, because if you don't say explicit and iTunes finds out, yeah. you're like you know, they, they drop your show or they drop that episode. It's, it's like, whatever it's, it's rare, but it happens. So airing on the side of explicit is not always a bad thing. Right. Yeah. They, I wouldn't be too worried. I still wouldn't listen to them at work just for other reasons. Not but safe for work. Really, yeah. <laughs> but the majority of them, there's just a swear word slipped in there too. And I'm a, I'm a goody two shoes. So I just labeled it that way. But anyway, um, my personal favorite episode is the Def Leppard's dressing room because uh, the person I interviewed is just hilarious and we actually worked together. So he reported to me is the funny twist of that episode. Um, but we worked at a concert venue and we tell some of the crazy stories about what it's like to actually work at a concert venue, um, like setting the dressing room on fire on accident. So that's my favorite one, but people have been the most drawn to the episode where someone worked for a funeral home for exactly one day. So I've gotten the most comments about that. Um, And one of the most interesting parts to me about that one is he quit for such a normal reason. So he, um, his whole story is crazy and kind of morbid, just as an FYI. But at the uh, end of his one day, he quits because his employer asked him to work like six more hours than he was planning on. And he was like, well, I'm not having that. So I quit. So 
that's just kind of going back to the themes of, um, you know, even the craziest jobs, a lot of times the reason for quitting is the same. Mm. Well, Jessica, it's been really great to connect with you and learn more about your world. And I've learned so much already, the importance of establishing boundaries, which sometimes you may not feel like you can at work. But now I think we are given more permission to and employers, uh, if they want to stay competitive, need to foster an environment where um, there can be dialogue and they are actually putting their employees first. And I also really liked your advice about, you know, if you don't have the financial cushion right now to afford quitting. Think about detaching your identity from, you know, the job title that is like your dream job title and just looking for a job out there because there are many jobs right now open, available that will pay the bills, get you set hours, won't be too stressful so that you can kind of, it's like a transition job. You can work on planning out your next real big step as you're doing that job, but just getting away from that toxic place that you may be in right now. Thank you so much. Really setting us off strong for this week as we focus on how to quit and how to change the culture and narrative around quitting. You are not a quitter. That's right. You know, air quotes, by quitting, you are actually taking a proactive step in protecting yourself and taking more control of your career future. Jessica Carney, thank you so much. Thank you. To learn more about our guest, Jessica Carney, go to jessicacarneywriter.com. Her podcast, again, is called And Then I Quit. You can subscribe everywhere podcasts are available. Stay tuned for Wednesday's episode. We'll be talking to Tim Herrera, former editor at the New York Times, who recently left his job just weeks ago. What led to his decision and his advice for others who want to follow in his footsteps. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope your day is so money. Money.